0: Hello, Woodlands Church. Welcome to the final message in our series, The Circus of Life. Doesn't life sometimes feel like a three ring circus and you're desperate for a break? But Pastor Kerry has been inviting us to break away from the crush of life to join God in the greatest show of all time. So I'm Pastor Paul Looney, and I do oversee our recovery and counseling ministries here. I love what I get to do here because God shows up and changes lives in extraordinary ways. I also work as a psychiatrist. I am Dr. Looney. Um, I like to think there's irony there, but some people think it fits. (laughs) So today's message is tightrope. Every great circus has a tightrope. But why is the tightrope tight? Well, it's simple. If you're going to walk on the air, you need something firm beneath your feet. If you're going to be relaxed as you walk into space, you need a rope managing a whole lot of tension for you. To stretch out of your comfort, to step out, of, uh, step out on the line, you need a rope stretched taut between two opposing and sturdy structures. In this way, the tie rope gives us a visual of the life of faith. We live in a physical universe, and if we're to be of any earthly good, we need to stay connected to the world we live in. But our eyes have been opened to a spiritual realm where we're told to fix our eyes on what is unseen. So this spiritual tightrope is anchored in the real world and our past, but also deeply connected to our identity as children of God and our future with Him. It's this tension that supports and allows us to walk with humility and boldness in our journey toward eternity. This is exactly what Abraham, our father in the faith, experienced as he grew in a relationship with God. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? As we read together aloud, notice how the Apostle Paul highlights this tension in Abraham's life. Walking, as it were, a tightrope in trusting God. Read with me, Romans four eighteen through 22. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver in faith, sorry, uh, through, through the, sorry, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what He had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's pray. God, open our eyes to see your kingdom in a fresh way. Open our hearts to your love and inspire in us a longing to step out into the high calling of your great plan and your path for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you will, please underline the first two phrases. Against all hope. And Abraham, in hope, believed. It sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? At least paradoxical. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Think about the tension between those two phrases. Next, underline the words, he faced the fact. Abraham was not in denial. He saw where he was physically. If he ever had been, he was no longer a stud. His fathering days were long gone. And Sarah, his wife, had always been barren. And now she was in her 80s. So this is where Abraham leads us as his tribe. In verse 20, and you can underline this one too, says, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He was steady. He was sturdy, walking before God in the tension between what was the real and what ought to be the ideal. Abraham glorified God by stepping out in faith between two opposing and irreconcilable poles. So like Abraham, we remain anchored in the facts but we are supported by our faith. Second Corinthians says this, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. There's a tension between what is happening in our bodies and what is happening in our hearts. This tension is where we live and how we grow. Walking the tightrope, treading, trusting enough to step away from the boundaries of our earthly existence into the boundless possibilities of relationship of life with God. Now, if the rope is the path laid out for us, then the tension that makes the the rope sturdy enough to support us is created by engaging both seen and unseen. What is and what will be, the temporary and the eternal. As believers, we step out from our past into the promise of God. Genesis 12-1 says, The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So no matter what our experience has been as humans, good, bad, or ugly, God wants us to follow Him into a new experience. He wants, to, he wants us to be born again so we can be, He can be our Father and the true source of our identity. He wants us to trust Him enough to work with whatever He's given us in our human identity so He can lead us into the work He uniquely created each of us to do. Ironically, the more broken and flawed our human identity, the more likely we are to be hungry for something more. This, I believe, is what Jesus meant in the first Beatitude when He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are rich in spirit, fully formed, and confident in their humanity are not likely to feel their need for God. But the rest of us thankfully come up against our limitations. And when we do, we can reach out for God and His kingdom. By admitting our standing as flawed human beings and then choosing to take a stand for Jesus, this new path springs into place, a tightrope that frees us to grow and go beyond what is possible in our human identity. Like Abraham before us, the Spirit calls us out into fresh space, leading us step by step toward our Heavenly Father. Yes, we are limited by our DNA, but we're defined by our destiny. The great thing is, the more broken we are, the more blessed we can be by stepping out in faith. The further we've been from God, the more we are, the less we are tempted to go back to our old ways and the sturdier our walk becomes. I see in my own walk, the more squarely I face my brokenness and depravity, the more grateful I become, the more firmly I keep my feet on the path. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that." is what we are. As God's children, we can trust Him. We can thrive on the tension between the two opposing ideas. One, that we are sinful humans deserving of death. And two, that we are deeply loved and destined for eternal life. He has us. Like Abraham, we can be realists about the state of our world, our bodies, our abilities, but we can also embrace our value, When we hear God's call, we can acknowledge what is true, but we cling to the truth. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Second Corinthians 4, 18. Between the facts and our faith, between our past and the promise, stretched between our DNA and our destiny, we don't deny what's true but we embrace the truth. What is truth? Jesus and His words. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 31 and 32. So let me give you some examples. True, I have physical flaws, imperfections and limitations. Truth, Psalm 139 says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. True, I have limited ability to figure things out. Truth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, I have the mind of Christ. True, I'm inadequate, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. True, I have little power to affect the problems of my world. Truth, in heaven's eyes, giving a cup of cold water is significant and celebrated. It's no good holding on just to what is true. We counterbalance what is true with the truth of God's word. Of course, sometimes the truth isn't so encouraging. Sometimes the truth hurts. True, I'm a pretty smart guy. Truth, we're all like dumb sheep who've lost their way. (laughs) True, I'm not a serial killer. Truth, there are people dying in poverty and hunger, and I can contribute so that some of them can live. True, I'm not raising hell, but the truth is there may be people who are consigned to hell because I fail to share the good news. If we focus only on the good side of our behavior, we can become proud, arrogant, self-satisfied, self-righteous, self-serving, and complacent. We lose the tension necessary to keep us on the line. Likewise, if we hold only to the bad side, we can become demoralized, frustrated, cynical, hopeless, and self-destructive. And it's certainly no good to swing from one pole to the other. That makes us a little bipolar. Swinging between feeling like I'm the best to believing I'm the worst. This pretty much describes my early years. I grew up in a church which left me thinking that grace was what made up the difference between my very best and what God actually requires. So when I believed I was doing my best, I would think, if anyone deserves heaven, it's me. Yet in those moments, I came face to face with my selfishness, my pride, my lack of obedience, I would think, if anybody deserves hell, it's me. Obviously, I was not secure in my standing because I was looking down at myself and my performance. And one sure way to fall off the tightrope is looking down. As I grew older, I, I struggled because I doubted, not because I doubted the existence of God, but because I had no certainty of my standing with Him. I didn't want to be deprived of pleasure and the approval of other people now and later be turned away at Heaven's heaven's Gate. I became desperate, I cried out to God. And so He brought people into my life who knew they were saved. Not because of their performance, it was all about Jesus. I was looking at myself, they were looking to Him. It was a great awakening and I learned that the Holy Spirit was in me to encourage me, to comfort, to change me, to empower me. In the light light of Jesus' work, I could rest. I could stop striving. At the same time, this new relationship lit a fire in me. I just couldn't get enough of fellowship and following Jesus. I couldn't get enough of of Him or His Word. Knowing Him finally connected with what was true with the truth, giving me a humble but secure place to stand. So on this tight rope, I'm always at God's mercy, always dependent, yet always held, trusting Him moment by moment for each step of faith. So here's the painful, terrible truth. You are not a good person. How do I know? Because you're like me. <laughs> Besides, Jesus says it. When someone addressed Jesus as good teacher, he asks a pointed question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Of course, it is tempting to think that there are good people and there are bad people, and that, of course, I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> this is the way most people on the planet think. They take comfort in being better than that guy. In fact, a lot of people think God can't reject them from heaven because I'm not a bad person. We think this way because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel we're on the right side of the line. It makes us feel comfortable. Comparing ourselves with someone worse than us makes us feel we're okay. But there's a problem with this way of thinking. It separates us from others. We see it when people come on Tuesday night to our recovery uh, meetings, they'll sit in a support group thinking, I'm not like these people. They're way more messed up than me. (laughs) But not only does this create a a destructive us-them mentality, the more we invest in seeing ourselves as good, the less we can see or acknowledge when we do bad. The higher our self-esteem, the more quickly we rationalize anything that might be seen as bad. It's a huge problem. And to some degree, we all do it. The truth is, no matter how bad you think you are, you're worse. <laughs> you see only a tiny fraction of all the good you can do in this world that God has created you for. And we will give an account. No excuses. Jesus says, in fact, that we will give an account for every careless word. Ouch. Thankfully, that very bad news is part of the great good news. We cannot access grace if we feel we have no need of it. By definition, grace is unmerited favor. So to get it, I have to admit I'm unworthy. To ask for mercy, I must admit guilt. In recovery, the first step is an admission of powerlessness. To get help from a doctor, we have to admit we're sick. And there are only two kinds of people, those who know they need help and those who don't know they need help. But we're all alike. We are all sick. We all need help. Every one of us is a mix of awful and awesome. Romans 3 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So while Paul the Apostle calls himself the chief of sinners, he also says that in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. We are all awesome and we are awful. We are depraved and we become partakers of the divine nature. So the problem is our brains are limited. They have trouble holding on to two opposing ideas. We're much more comfortable if we believe we have things figured out. We like to be able to make a judgment and move on. We have trouble endorsing two opposing ideas simultaneously. The psychological term for this is cognitive dissonance. And it actually creates tension in our bodies. So we feel the strong need to resolve it by coming down on one side or the other. We want to settle the matter. Am I a good person or a bad person? But there are some things we can't fully resolve. Take physics, for instance. The first law of thermodynamics states flatly, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. But physics also affirms that before the Big Bang, there was nothing, no energy, no matter, no time. Wait, what? Or how about this one? a single photon of light can exist as a wave and as a particle simultaneously. Weird, huh? Even weirder, that single photon of light can exist in two points in space at the same time. No, can't be. But it is. In these matters, most of us just yield to the experts. We acknowledge the craziness, the incongruity, but we give up trying to resolve the tension. We put it out of our minds and live in the paradox by letting somebody else wrestle with it. Sadly, with other inconsistencies, we like to think we got it. When it comes to the way I see myself, for instance, I want to resolve the tension. I want to believe I'm a good husband and a good father. Nothing wrong with that, right? Well, it turns out the more I want to see myself in a certain light, the more I edit what I see and hear. I focus only on the evidence that supports my belief. I lean into facts that bolster my conclusion and lean away from anything contradicting it. If I need to see myself as a good husband, I disqualify feedback that indicates otherwise. Let me show you how it works. Let's say I, my wife, Terry, is hurt by something I say. I get defensive. I tell her she misunderstood me. I was only kidding. I had a bad day." Or if you think you're hurt, you know how it goes. But what my wife needs and what I need even more is to embrace her experience of me as valid and offer a simple apology, which is so much easier to do when I see myself as, as flawed, a mix of good and bad. That was mean, wasn't it? I say. She nods. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Okay, she says. And in that moment, we're back to good. And even if I do think she misunderstood me, it doesn't matter. Jesus shouldered a burden that was not His to bear, and He asks us to do the same. It is not about being right. The truth is no one has blessed my wife, Terry more than I have. No one is more committed to her well-being than I. At the same time, no one has hurt Terry the way I have. No one has left her feeling more disappointed, frustrated, neglected, or betrayed than I. This is where I live. As a husband, I am fantastic, and I'm a flop. But tension keeps the tightrope tight. I don't need to feel I'm the best or the worst. I've been crucified with Christ, so I don't have to defend. I can hold on to my own good perspective, but also connect deeply with my wife's experience of me. But only if I get out of my head and into my heart. But wait, if I said something bad, doesn't that make me a bad person? Well, no, no more than saying something nice makes me a good person in Christ. Our identity and our behavior find distinction. Paul in Romans 7 tells us that once we enter into a relationship with God and agree with what he says is is right, that if I sin, it is no longer I, but sin that lives in me. My sin is not my identity, so I can confess it and turn from it. My past is not my identity, but it keeps me humble. What is true is overridden by the truth. The good news is, the more I own my own sin, the more I get of grace. To claim and enjoy God's grace, I must claim and admit my sin. Romans 520 says it this way. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This is the tightrope. And we see it every Tuesday at Restoration when a testimony is given. The grosser the sin and the more desperate the circumstance, the greater God's glory and demonstration of His power. So what do we get by stepping out on the tightrope? Well, first, we feel the thrill. It's exciting up there. And Jesus came that we might have life to the full. Secondly, we learn it's not about good and bad, right and wrong. It's about life and death. God tells us in Deuteronomy to choose life. A third advantage is that from the tightrope, everything looks smaller. We worry less about things when they seem manageable and small than when they loom large in front of us. And from the tightrope, everyone looks the same. From the tightrope, there's no good or bad people. No race, no status, no gender, we are all the same. And finally, on the tightrope, the path is clear if we take it one step at a time. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that God has prepared good works for us to walk in them. We just need to take a step at a time. This is where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in trust, not certainty. He wants us to be childlike enough to trust that what He says is so, to relax and let Him manage the tension. Life on the tightrope means letting God be God. He gets to say what is so. We just put one foot in front of the other, trusting He will hold hold us up. But don't think the tension grows less as we become more spiritually mature. Rather, we become more and more aware of our limitations our sin and God's holiness. As a matter of fact, the more you grow in loving God and others, the more you wish to be like Him, the more your heart is broken by your own limits and the sin around you. And it's hard. Sometimes it's tempting to get off the wire. It's just too tough. We want to feel we have some control, that we can make things happen. But on those days, all we can do is take up our cross, Whatever personal struggle or difficulty, whatever challenge or heartache you're facing and bear it well. Following Jesus because he did it first and he promises it will be worth it. I loved the greatest showman movie. Like any good movie, it touched on deep truths and powerful themes. Though P.T. Barnum was a man, he embodied some of the things that we hold dear, creativity and risk. Passion, love, commitment, and grace. And like Jesus, Barnum gathered the misfits and gave them a sense of belonging and value. His wife, whose name was actually Charity, is a picture of us, the bride of Christ, swept up in a vision of adventure and purpose. In Tightrope, one of the sweetest songs of the movie, Charity gives voice to the words we might say to Jesus' invitation to walk with Him. Just listen. The call to the tightrope, the life of faith, is a call of love and belonging. It's a romance. The word circus comes from the Latin word for ring. When we step into that ring, we step into the love and faithfulness of God, the ring of His promise and eternity. We climb to the tightrope to get closer to Him, We're on the line because our hearts have been captured. We belong. And like the song Johnny Cash used to sing, because you're mine, I walk the line. The line we walk is not a dark line of legal rewards and punishments. It's a bright line of love, faithfulness, commitment, and trust. We avoid stepping left or right of the line, not because it's bad or wrong, We keep our feet pointed forward because we don't want to lose our connection. We might prefer to walk on solid ground, feeling righteous and right, but life is on the tightrope where our balance depends on our connection with Him, our willingness to defer judgment and trust Him. We don't have to prove anything. We trust the line and keep walking. We live in that tension between the grace of God and our own depravity. We must never lose touch with ourselves, but we must always look to Him. Psalm 34 5 says this, Those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So can we fall? Well, yes and no. Every day we fall short of our desires and intentions. Even in our best moments, we can disappoint and hurt others. And if we step out on that line, we will be judged. We'll be misrepresented. We may suffer ridicule and rejection. We may even be persecuted. For sure, our hearts will be broken. And we'll grieve we cannot do more. Yet we must get up there. It is our life with Jesus. And in a very real sense, nothing can take us down. He is our safety net. Even if we lose our footing and fall, He will catch us. All He asks is that we go again. We get back up. So how do we find balance on the tightrope? Well, first of all, we don't deny the tension. There are things we cannot understand. God says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. That tightrope is way up there. So don't look down. As I said before, that's a sure way to fall. And don't look back. Stay focused. Keep your eye on the goal. As you balance, learn to connect with your core. Get in your gut and your heart. Get out of your head. And stay flexible because if you're rigid, you can't keep your balance. Be present, take one step at a time, and don't be afraid, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. A fall just reveals what is true. We're all sinners. We're all imperfect, no surprise there. But confession of our fall shows that we will not make a home in our heart for anything that betrays our identity as children of God. This is the truth about us. Confession says, I did this, but I am not this. It is what I did, it is not what I want. Like the Lauren Daigle song, you say, when I am feeling weak, you say, I am strong. When I am feeling shame, you say, I belong and I believe. I believe what you say of me. There is a tension in the tightrope, but it holds us. A week ago, brother and sister Nick and Liana Willenda walked from either side of a high wire a quarter mile long, 25 stories above Times Square. That's impressive. But much more impressive if you know that in 2017, Liana fell in a tragic accident from a tightrope, breaking nearly every bone in her face. After that event and the surgeries, her jaws were wired shut. She had three plates and 73 screws in her face. Now, we all fear falling flat on her face, right? But but Liana did not let her fear hold her down. She got back up. And after their successful walk uh, across Times Square, Liana and Nick were interviewed on Good Morning America. If you watch the interview, when asked about her fear, Liana said, the first steps are always the hardest. She was a little shaky for about the first 20 20 feet. But she said, once she got going, she said, it becomes home. It's peaceful. At one point, Liana had to straddle the wire and get down so her brother Nick could step over her on the wire. In the critical moment when she had to get back up and regain her footing, she said, In Jesus' name, I've got this. During part of the walk, she was singing praises to God, embodying a sentiment we find in the book of Habakkuk. Says this, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my deliverance. The Lord God is my strength. He will set my feet like the deer. He will let me walk upon the heights. If I choose it, the tightrope can be peaceful. It can become home because He is with me. He is with us there. Remember, none of us is good. But if we admit our unworthiness, we can enter into grace and live there. We can live in that tension between what is and what will be, between the known and the unknown, between our weakness and failure and the power that keeps us aloft. The stakes are high, and you could fall. But if your heart belongs to heaven, nothing on earth will satisfy. Don't stay grounded, risk it all. Yes, we could die, but we need to die. We need to die to our fear of failure, of rejection, of being thought irrelevant. We must let go of our need to have everyone's approval. This world is bent on having you on its platform, keeping you there. And it will resist and ridicule you if you step out. Do it anyway. In a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us. But first, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your head, look into your beating heart. Ask yourself this question. Is there a step of faith? I know I need to take. Maybe it's something you've been resisting or delaying. Maybe it's something you've been convicted of in this message. Perhaps it's time to surrender something to God or to engage something you know God made you to do. Maybe it's an act of spiritual obedience or discipline like quiet time or praying with your spouse or your children. Maybe you need to speak up in a relationship to tell the truth or share your faith, take a moment, ask the question, is there a step I know I need to take? If something has come to mind, it's likely something that will include a risk. So ask God for the courage to step out into the unknown, knowing you may fail. Ask Him to overcome anything that might hold you back from the great adventure of walking the tightrope with Him. Now, if something has come to mind and you're willing, just before I pray, with head bowed and eyes closed, stand to your feet as a sign that you're ready to take action, to step out, to trust, and believe. Do it now. Those of you who are standing, please remain so as I pray. And any who are seated, you may also take a stand as I pray to declare in a simple act that you're looking to God, trusting, ready to walk where He leads. God, I thank you that you are God. Thank you that you invite us to a life of trust, a life of balance, a life of risk and excitement, of discipline and obedience. Thank you that your call is rigorous. It gives all and it asks all. Thank you for the narrow way. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and on our goal. Teach us to be wholehearted in pursuing you. Keep us anchored in our brokenness and need. Keep us anchored in the brightness and the beauty of your eternal kingdom. Forgive us when we try to be the ringleader, masterminding our lives rather than living from a servant's heart. Now for all who are standing or anyone who wish to pray aloud, please join me in reading out loud what is on the screen. God, I surrender to you. I freely acknowledge my need for you. I see that I can do nothing without you. I've tried life on my terms and found I am not enough. I'm tired of trying to be a good person, so I ask you to come and be good in me. I invite you into my heart to take charge. Sweep me up in the romance of your great love. I want to live a life of courage and faith of love and obedience, unafraid, unashamed, knowing that when I fail and when I fall, you will catch me and lift me up. Wherever you call me to go, like Abraham before me, I will go, believing that you will be true and you will take me to a good place. Even when I don't know where I'm going, I'll walk one step at a time. Open my eyes day by day to your breathtaking view, walking the tightrope with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.